The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. All right, today we are beginning a brand new series, annual series, entitled Living the Vision. And it is so true that moving a vision into consistent and purposeful livingness is the only way that we can actualize greater potential in our lives and in the world. Living the vision. And uh, so our 2018 theme for living the vision is on course. On course. And so it's powerful to imagine uh, what, what would it be like to be truly and purposefully on course in my life. What would that be like to really be on course? Now, we probably are pretty clear how easy it is to be pulled off course. I mean, there are so many cross-currents in life, messages in life, that can veer us off the course of what's true for us, what's integral to us. And, and it's so easy then also to allow our values and our goals uh, to become very shallow and, and distorted when we're off course. Story of a, a couple, a loving couple. They'd been married for 40 years, having their 40th anniversary. And serendipitously, they had both each turned 60. So they had a double celebration of their 40th anniversary and 60th birthdays. And, and, and so it was such a beautiful couple that a fairy emerged and said to each one of them, I am going to grant the fulfillment of one wish for each of you. And so the wife said, oh, I know what I want. I want an all-expenses-paid, long romantic vacation with my husband. And the fairy waved the wand, and boom, there were the tickets right in her hand. And she was so excited. And then the fairy turned to the man and says, now remember, you too have, have a wish that uh, can be fulfilled. And the man uh, paused for a moment, and then he said kind of sheepishly, well, what I really wish is, is to have a woman 30 years younger than me. And the fairy waved her wand, and boom, he was 90. <laughs> and so you see, you see, it's easy to get off course, really easy to get off course in our lives. I believe that our hearts yearn for the on-course phenomenon. I like the way a writer named Poe Bronson put it. We are all writing the story of our life. We want to know what it's about. What are its themes and which theme is on the rise? We demand of it something deeper or richer or more substantive. We want to know where we're headed, not to spoil our own ending by ruining the surprise, but we want to ensure that when the ending comes, it won't be shallow. We will have done something. We'll have not squandered our time. To be on course, it's not about finding more success or fame or wealth or power, although all of those or any of those can be byproducts. To be on course is to be aligned with your core purpose, or your sole purpose, so much so that it inspires you and it guides your choices and your actions in life. That's to be on course, to be connecting with and to be revealing your greatest gifts, the gifts born of your essential self, the true gifts of the Spirit in and as you. 
So as we explore this uh, in, in this series, we're going to be focusing on five pathways for empowering the possible. And our topic for today is that first pathway for empowering the possible, visioning. To learn the skills of visioning is to allow us to source the deepest and the highest within us and to express it more fully into our lives. And and we're going to be looking at how it is that we can so easily fall into agreement with our limitations. How easily we can fall into agreement with the constraints of our lives instead of really expressing that soul purpose that lives in every one of us. Now, I got a little bit of a metaphor uh, demonstration for this, uh, and it's, uh, it's this. <clears throat> Come here. It's this. What I have here <laughs> is a bag of rocks. This is filled with softball size rocks. And you know, it's like we go through our lives carrying a burden just like this. Now, we didn't go seeking these rocks, but they came along on our pathway, and instead of knowing how to work with them more fully, what we did was we actually just put them in, in, in the, the bag of our consciousness, and we've carried them around in, in our lives. These rocks are the remnants of our difficulties from the past. That's what's in there. And, and so these rocks are, first of all, our regrets, the things we should have said. Things we feel we should have done. You know, the uh, time we may have lost our temper or made uh, that big mistake. The time when we may have mistreated a loved one in our lives. Uh, the time when uh, we may have misused our integrity or, or got in the way of our integrity or uh, injured someone unwittingly or missed a big opportunity. What are the regrets that you carry like a big weight in your life? Hmm? And then also in this bag are not only the regrets, but also the resentments. You know, the things that we're absolutely convinced we could never forgive. So we carry it as a huge weight. Yeah, the resentments in our life. The times you felt betrayed, maybe humiliated in your life. Uh, unkind words might have been said to you. The system may have failed you uh, in some way or another. Or an injustice might have occurred on your pathway. And now you carry it like a heavy burden of resentment. Yeah, resentment. And you know what's also in this, this heavy weight, this bag of rocks, is our rejections. You know, the times when the message we took was that we're not worthy. The time when we were put down or passed over, maybe as a kid when we were uh, sent back a, a grade in our lives. Um, maybe it's, it's, it's the times when we were told that we're not good enough and we felt this deep rejection and we carry it. And you know what's also in here, besides the regrets and the resentments and the rejection, is the weight of our resignation. That moment when we decided to give up, give up on our dreams. When we decided to agree with struggle and to agree with limitation, that it was just our fate 
and just that which we'd have to, to endure. And, and that moment when we decided that we would opt for security rather than growth in our lives. So we carry this stuff around. And it gets heavy, I can tell you. It gets heavy. And, and we get miserable carrying this stuff. Miserable. And we carry it everywhere. We carry it into our offices or our workplaces, into our homes. We carry it into our attempts at leisure time and play. We carry it into our spiritual lives. And we carry it into our relationships. And, and oftentimes people can't even get really close to us because they can't get really to us around all of the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, all the stuff we're carrying. And sometimes we get so frustrated, we take some of the rocks out and throw them at other people. Reject them right on to them. So here's the big question. If you're carrying this stuff around, and we all have some elements of this, you know, how can you have a vision for the future when most of your energies are used up in shouldering the past? How can you have a vision for the future when most of your energy is used in shouldering the past and all that stuff? Hey, as we start this series, it's time to let it go. Yeah, it was heavy. <laughs> it's time to set down this stuff we carry uh, in our lives. And enter into a higher awareness of who we really are. Experience the freedom of the spirit that we are. That great master teacher Jesus, he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the Father within does the work. And there's a power within you and me that can express masterfully and powerfully. It'll do the work of unfolding an incredible life, but we have to have a bigger vision than all the junk from the past that we carry around that weighs us down. It's to move into that essential self made in the image and after the likeness of God and to know that we are reconnecting with that divine essence in which we live, move, and have our being. And in this way, as we let go of all that stuff and let go of the past... Then we can step into the sacred dance of our lives. Otherwise, we're caught up in the survival dance where it's just about let's make it through another day or another year just to survive when life says it's about a sacred dance that you're here. Somebody has written that, that you were born to make manifest the glory of God. I love that. You were born to make manifest the glory of God. Declare with me, I was born to make manifest the glory of God. Together? I was born to make manifest the glory of God. Now feel that. Feel that. When you're carrying all that stuff, it's hard to, to do that or to do what's also written in the Bible, stir up the gift of God which is in you. The gift of God which is in you. Now the greatest tool for embracing our sacred dance is a vision that matters to you. A vision that comes deep from within you. You see, what a vision does is it, it orients our energies and our efforts around who we really are in this life of ours. That's what makes it so sacred. 
Now, now, this past fall, it became clear to us that while Mile High had a very powerful, has a very powerful vision and mission, that we wanted to, to empower it even further, enhance it even more. And so uh, we, we brought this to you and we asked you to give us input. And hundreds and hundreds of you wrote out your dream for Mile High Church on a card and one word and you hung it on flags out on the, the fence around the playground out here. And we took all of that. And we itemized every single one of them. And then we got input from our incredible, beautiful staff and from our wonderful board of trustees. And over many, many months and many, many hours, we worked and worked on this to figure out what was it that, that could more fully articulate who we are as a beautiful spiritual community that makes a huge difference in this world. And what we ultimately discovered <laughs> was that our original vision and mission statement are right on. They're very powerful. And, and we've taken them into our heart. We declare them most each and every Sunday. And you told us there's something more to say that makes that vision and mission white hot and, and evokes what we're really about in this world. So since we didn't affirm them earlier in the service, let's declare our vision and mission, and most of you have it memorized. The vision of Mile High Church, oneness revealed, a world of love, peace, and abundance for all. That's what we're about. Our teaching is that there's only one life. We're one in that life. We're of that God life. And we're one with one another and all creation. And we can reveal that. And now our mission, the mission of Mile High, to serve as a spiritual beacon for personal empowerment and global enlightenment. Yeah, we serve. And we're a light in this world to, to enhance individuals' lives and, and shift the collective consciousness. This is so right on. And you told us there's not only the vision and the mission, but there is also the heart of Mile High Church. And this is what we also want to add to this. The heart of Mile High Church. Read this with me. The heart of Mile High. We are a radically inclusive spiritual community dedicated to healing lives and empowering dreams. And what we know for all, you belong, you matter, you are loved, you have a contribution to make. And what we can do together? Let's face our challenges together and create the world we know is possible. A world of peace, unity, and human dignity for all. Isn't that incredible? That makes our vision and mission white hot so that we can be challenged to go out in the world and to do all of that and be all of that even more fully. Now, you're not going to have to read that whole thing every Sunday, but we might be reading and declaring the heart of Mile High every Sunday for a while, along with, uh, on occasion, our vision and mission. There is something so very powerful about a clear, compelling, channeling vision. It gets us on course. And here is where it lives. Your vision, our vision, lives in our hearts. That's why we called it the heart of Mile High. That's where your vision resides. And I'll tell you what, your heart is both the wisdom and the way for your vision. I love that Carl Jung said, your vision will become clear only when you look into your heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside, awakens. Yeah, your, your, your heart is the, both the wisdom and the way for your vision. As the wisdom, I'm encouraging you to pause as the... the train of your life rolls down the tracks in a direction you've set, an agenda you've set, to pause 
and look into your heart. And just ask that deep question, what does my heart know is my higher direction or purpose? What does my heart know? Whether the world thinks it's right or people agree, who cares? What does my heart know is my highest purpose and direction? And you may not know what form that will take. But if you can get clear about the essence of what your heart wants to bring forth into this life, the avenues for its accomplishment will be brought to you. If you'll claim and not push aside this essence within your heart. So listen to the wisdom of your heart. That's where your deepest, truest vision resides that'll get you on course. And then realize that your heart is also the way. It's the way that you can unfold your vision. Heart power is enormous to unfold a vision. And and there are three aspects of this. And you can remember this by the Latin term via. And that means by means of or the way. And, and those three letters can help you remember that, it's, that the way is about starting to visualize, internalize, and actualize your vision. Visualize, internalize, and actualize. It begins as you visualize your vision. You know, in the Bible it says, write the vision, make it clear. And I would add to it, write and envision, write and see your vision clearly, powerfully, compellingly. To visualize that starts to make it real and powerful within you. To see or imagine very clearly the expression, as far as you know it, of that which lives in your heart. That's the beginning of the way of the heart. Visualize. And then internalize. As you visualize it, then you've got to move it into a sense of reality within you. This is where you move it to the feeling level. And you make it real, feeling, not only seeing the reality of your vision, but feeling the reality of your vision. Feeling it as real, that is to realize, make real your vision as you both see it and you feel it. See it in your vision, feel it in your heart, and feel appreciation and joy as you're realizing that you're making your vision real within you. And when it becomes real within you, then through a power for good in the universe, it can become real in your experience. And you can begin to attract the ways and the means to achieve that vision. So you visualize it, then internalize it, and then actualize it. That's when you start walking your talk. That's when you make sure that you show up living your vision, that you show up congruent to your vision, fully committed to that vision, day by day, moment by moment. So you see how a vision then becomes powerful because you're seeing it, you're feeling it as real and celebrating it, and then you're living it. You're speaking it, walking it, and talking it. And I tell you, if you'll do that, incredible things will happen and you'll have the sense that you are absolutely on course. On course. Robert Fulgham, one of my favorite authors, tells a story about a kindergarten teacher who was very skilled. In fact, she had a great reputation for her classrooms and the creativity she brought to them. And there was a convention of teachers in her city, and the convention leaders asked this creative teacher to come up with a skit or a play with her students uh, that expressed some story or some myth or some fable. So the teacher went back to her students, and they all decided they wanted to enact Cinderella. 
It was a good choice because there's so many parts and roles in, in that great story of Cinderella. And so the kids chose their roles. I mean, all the girls wanted to be the princess, but some of them got to be the sisters and, and all of that. And, and some got to be the coachman and the prince and all this. So the kids had chosen all their roles except one little kid. And he was a kid that all the other kids teased a lot. And he was kind of a short little guy and tubby. And, and he was made fun of a lot. And so the teacher went to this kid whose name was Norman and said, Norman, what role do you want to play in Cinderella? And Norman said, well, I want to be the pig. And then she said, well, Norman, uh, there's no pig in the story of Cinderella. And Norman said something very powerful. He said, well, there is now. (laughs) And the teacher said, well, all right, Norman, and left it to Norman to embrace and to unfold, birth this pig in the story. And so uh, they began to rehearse this, and Norman took it on. And what he did as this pig was he began to make facial expressions of all that was going on. If it was a worrisome scene, he'd look all worried. If it was anxious or fearful, he'd look like that. If it was joyous, he'd look like a pig that was all joyous and everything. And he was stealing the show. It was so cool to have this pig creating the energies as the play went on. Now in rehearsal, it got to an interesting moment where at the end of the play in rehearsal, uh, Norman sat up on his back legs and, and as a pig, he barked. And so the teacher went to Norman and says, you know, Norman, even though uh, you've created a pig in, in this Cinderella here, um, there, there's no pig that can bark. No pig can bark. There's no pig like that. And, and, and Norman said, well, there is now. <laughs> well, so they went into the performance night, and the crowd gave a standing ovation to the whole team, but especially to Norman the pig. Norman the barking pig. <laughs> who really showed up truly as the Cinderella of the story. Well, word got around and spread that this teacher had created this really incredible special rendition of Cinderella, and she got lots of calls from other teachers saying, what was so special about that? And, and the teacher says, well, our kids did it well, and there was a barking pig uh, in, in this one. And the person on the phone would inevitably say, but there's no barking pig in Cinderella. And the teacher would declare, there is now. There is now. You know, beautiful little shaman Norman (laughs) creates this incredible declaration behind a vision that's a part of our visualizing and internalizing and actualizing it. But we declare to the world as we embrace our vision, there is now. This vision is now. It is now. So as you go out in your world, you get to look around and see where's the need. Um, Where's an opportunity for me to express this higher vision in my life. I was struck by reading a story about a man in a suburb of London who, whose name is uh, Jonathan Bergman. Jonathan Bergman. He was bothered by a, a piece of land, a tract of land right across the street from his office. That was a wasteland. It was overgrown. There was trash all over it. It was unloved. There was a huge slab of concrete that had been poured in the middle of it, and it was covered with graffiti. Here's a picture of it uh, in its early state. 
And it saddened him that in this progressive, beautiful area of London that this plot of land was like that. And so one day he was uh, again looking at it. And how easy it is for us to just look at stuff and click our tongues and say, ah, somebody ought to do something about that. But he saw another guy leaning over the fence looking at this. And he went up and he talked to him. And they agreed there was a sad state of affairs on that piece of land. And the man said to him, well, how about we get it for the community? And the light bulb went on within Jonathan Bergman, and he went to work with that. They set up a charity, and they sought out donations. It took them three years of negotiating, but they finally bought that tract of land for about 25,000 pounds. And then they started wondering what to do with it, and they got some people from the community together and to design a lovely place for the community. And then they found out nobody could agree. Nobody could agree on the design. In fact, arguments started breaking out about the design, and it went on for another two years of trying to design something beautiful for that property. Finally, Bergman had had enough, and he just decided to start. So he went out there himself and started picking up trash and cutting down some of the weeds and and the grass. And lo and behold, other people saw him doing that, and they dived in and started pitching in too. They just wanted to be in action. Here's a picture of, of members of the community out there kind of doing their thing. No, 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 let's go back a slide. There you go. There they are, and they're, so they're out there working on this plot of land. They got their pickaxes, and they're trying to make sense of it. Well, as they're doing all this, a vision emerged that was bigger than even just creating a lovely garden. They decided, let's create a peace garden, a garden dedicated to world peace. And so what was born was the World Peace Garden. And now there's an abundance of flowers in this thing. There's a pool there. There are uh, areas for sitting, and a lot of people gather there. Uh, and there's a sign that says, Welcome to the World Peace Garden of Camden, London. And um, there's a tree that has little tags on it, and, and kids from local schools filled out a, uh, and, and completed what I want the world to be like when I grow up. It's a beautiful place. Here's some pictures of that. Now, this is what's there, the World Peace Garden of Camden, London. Uh, and it's a beautiful spot. The next picture... Uh, shows beautiful winding paths and places to sit and gather. And another one, a pond. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, a little oasis there. And people gather there. It's a place for community. And I love that. It's letting a vision get born and knowing that sometimes you get just a slice of the vision, but the more you commit to it and then actualize it, the more it unfolds and becomes a beautiful thing. Where's a wasteland that troubles you? How about opening your heart to a vision so that something greater can come forth there? And Bergman's life has been transformed by this. There's a website for this thing, a charity for creating other spots uh, on neglected pieces of ground. It's a beautiful thing. Who knows where that would take you? You know, I, I came across that and I thought about our corner over here where we used to have the restaurant. Now we've got our wonderful sign. But yet the rest of the grounds, you know, it's in transition. There's a tree or two and there's nothing there. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if we had a peace garden as the entree onto our property? Like a world peace garden. Make it a beautiful spot that expresses who we are. Maybe we get a second and larger peace pole out there or something like that. You see, it doesn't take much to get the old vision going in me, which most of my staff knows uh, and, and hides from a lot. But I'm telling you, it's time to set down the burdens, to be more in this life than carrying around a bunch of dead weight. Because that's what the past is, gang. It's dead weight. It's time to let it go.
spread our wings, sense that sacred dance within us, and have the boldness and the heart to just plain go for it, to go for it. I love it that somebody once wrote, and the most important thing is this, to be willing at any moment to surrender what we are to what we might become. That's a vision, and that's getting on course.